Nick Brody came to me and said, you know, would you be a trustee? And he said, all you've got to do is attend three meetings a year. Somehow that turned into me doing all the social media, overseeing the office. Our fundraiser left just before the lockdown, and so now I'm overseeing the fundraising as well. Welcome to Success is in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. An award-winning podcast by Pinpoint Media, this isn't about the millions, the large houses and the fast cars associated with the term entrepreneur. Instead, we shine a light by speaking to the leaders, the entrepreneurs on the front line by bringing to the forefront the trials, the tribulations, the pains and the determination that it takes to start, run and scale a business. So, what does it take to turn your dream into a reality? Well, find out from those that are currently doing just that. So in this special charity episode, we've welcomed Julie Kent MBE into our studio. This episode is slightly different, however, but I'm sure we'll put on the same mental attributes that entrepreneurs and those who are striving for success require in abundance. Julie Kent, who has recently been awarded an MBE for her charitable services, has, for the last 30 years, worked for Dean Close School in Cheltenham. And trust me, that is no mean feat in itself. Julie is also Vice Chair of the Pied Piper Appeal and an incredible saxophonist, trustee for Goals Beyond Grass, and and a self-proclaimed go-giver and public speaker. Julie, welcome to the studio. Julie, you studied uh, at Leeds College. You did music at Leeds College in 1983. You graduated. You then ended up working for Dean Close. But there was a bit of a gap between the two. What was the gap and what did you do between those 10-ish years? Uh, well, I was a professional musician on the road. So um, at Music College, it was it was great. Uh, you, there was a blackboard. It was an old building right in the centre of Leeds. And on the very top floor, uh, there was a big blackboard with an old phone next to it. And agents used to ring up and say, we need a trumpeter for a three-month cruise or we need a sax player to go to Nice Jazz Festival or whatever. And they'd chalk it up on the board and whoever walked past the board at that time would just ring the number and get the gig, really. Uh, Because obviously we were all... Um, training to be professional musicians. So from that, I did play at Nice Jazz Festival, actually, yes. on the same stage as Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis. and With the saxophone? With On the tenor. In fact, I didn't have a tenor. I think it might have been my first year there. And I had an alto. I played alto, flute, clarinet and piano. And uh, I didn't have a tenor, but for the gig, I needed a tenor. So I bought a really cheap tenor and got to London, got on the train, off I went. It was absolutely amazing. So you were allowed to take time out as well. So if it was a three-month cruise, you could go off and do that and then come back and join the course. Cruise being around the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was it was all geared to, to, you know, turning you into being a professional musician. So for me, playing saxophone and flute and clarinet, if you were in a pit, I mean, those years ago, 30 years ago, you had a full pit for every musical. And we had to practice. We'd play the flute for so many bars, put the flute down, pick the clarinet up. And that was part of a lesson, you know, practicing changing your embouchure for three yeah. instruments. Left Leeds and then went to Scarborough for a while because I was with someone at the time who was playing at a theatre in Scarborough. And then came back to Gloucester, actually, and uh, played in different bands, formed a band called Sax Relief. No, I like it. I yeah. like it. Amazing um, rhythm section and um, <laughs> played all over the place. 
and and then played in jazz quartets, soul bands. And what did you do before? So before you actually went to, to to university, before you became a musician, what did you do before that? What was your family, your upbringing, your history like? I was born in Gloucester. Were you? So yep. local, born and bred. I am, and um, the eldest of three daughters. My dad always wanted a son because he was so sporty. So I used to go fishing with him. I was the scorer for his cricket team. He took me to the rugby. You know, did all those sort of boy things. Went to Denmark. Mott Road High School for Girls and then went from there to Leeds. So lovely childhood. You know, both my parents are dead now, but my my middle sister lives in Australia and my younger sister lives in Gloucester. And what did they do career-wise, parents? My they both actually my younger sister was left school and went to the C and G, which became right. Lloyd's Bank, and has recently in the last year um started up as a VA on right. her own, started her own business. Yep. And my middle sister was in property, oh, right, worked okay. for estate agents. But now in Australia, she works for the Australian government. That must be fascinating. And, and your parents were, what, what did they do work-wise then? Well, they must be um, quite supportive. Oh, my dad was amazing. Yeah. In fact, when we moved, we were born in a terraced house in Gloucester and then we moved to um, a semi-detached house. So dad used to do a milk round in the morning before he went to work. Wow. And and then he had his own um, electrical contractors business, but they both were hardworking. Mum was a secretary. Mm-hmm. They were very hardworking. You know, it was very. I was brought up with if you want something, you work hard mm-hmm. and you get it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no sort of so that when when foreign holidays, I remember them going on a plane to Torremolinos or something. Torremolinos was that? Yeah, that was a place that first opened up in Spain for people to go on foreign holidays. Torremolinos. And they went with other adults that we knew and it was a big thing but uh-huh. then it would have been oh well, let's just work harder and we'll get that money and we'll go and we'll do it mm-hmm. yeah Which, well, i yeah. mean that's good and you get you i mean your drive it's clearly evident your <laughs> every single networking event it seems in town you're making so much noise online you are you, you you your drive and passion to do the right thing shines through do you think you got that from your parents definitely um was always encouraged definitely role models for work hard, play hard. They did play hard. They used to go out a lot dancing. <laughs> They'd come back with friends till two or three in the morning drinking. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get to sleep. Um, you know, they were party animals, but they worked hard as well, which yes. is probably my philosophy. Work hard, play hard. Yeah. And, and you, you obviously, before you went into the charitable, I suppose, sector or world, you ended up going to Dean Close for 30 years. Not to study, obviously, but... Uh, yeah. Well, that sort of... Um, I met uh, my husband now, Burn, and... Right decided I needed to be sensible, got married and I'd never wanted children Mm -hmm. really because I suppose I was travelling a lot and playing and um, then met him and then thought, well, we'll settle down and have children. So I thought I'd do teaching because that's (laughs) sensible and I used to teach in a different school every day. Every day? Uh, Yeah, so I would go to a school, um, I would go to the Downs at Cowell one day, I would go to St Edward's another day and I actually didn't teach on a Friday because I was still gigging six nights a week. And um, and I was teaching a boy who had, was on a music scholarship at Dean Close. But I was teaching him at home right. uh, because he wanted me to teach him. They yeah. had um, an old saxophone player. And so they the, the guy was leaving who taught the saxophone and Dean Close contacted me and said... Uh, would I apply for the job? And I said, no, I don't, you know, I don't want yeah. to teach on a Friday. I'm, you know, gigging all weekend and I'm yeah. just worn out. Anyway, they kind of said, well, just come in and chat to us. And I ended up starting by teaching about six pupils nice. that turned into 10, that turned into 20. And actually, I remember the very first day, 
All the guys there had those tweed jackets with the leather. Little patches on the arms, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're talking 30 years ago, so it was yeah. stuffy. Yeah. And um, I was at lunch, and the bursar was opposite me, and he said, oh, who are you? <laughs> and I said, um, I'm the new saxophone teacher, actually. And he said, eh, it's not an orchestral instrument, is it? <laughs> and I thought... I don't think I should be here, really. <laughs> For most people who are teachers, they, they would normally not do what you do. They teach during the day, maybe yeah. mark some papers in the evening, maybe relax on the weekend if yeah. they have a fun time. But you decided to go and support the Pied Piper Appeal and the numerous of other charities locally and, you know, do quite a lot for the community. Well, when I first went to Dean Close, did we have Emily? We Emily must have been alive then. Emily Adorsa. Yeah. Yes. And it was while we were at Dean Close um, that we found out she had the brain tumour and we ended right. up you know, six months in and out of hospital. And actually, Dean Close were amazing because um, the health team said, try and keep your lives as normal as possible. So my husband would stay in hospital with Emily for three days mm -hmm. and I would go to Dean Close and I would teach all my pupils. And I could do that at the weekend because they were boarders. Mm -hmm. I could teach all day Saturday, all day Sunday. They were happy to have their saxophone lesson then. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to the hospital Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Byrne would go to work and we tried to keep it as normal as possible and actually even when she died school were amazing mm -hmm. you know the director of music had written something called Cantalina for Emily on the piano and wow. the choir sang at her funeral and wow. uh, you know so amazingly supportive so really I and that's when we started the Emily Kent yes. Charitable Trust so that was the first charity that I'd got involved with on a big scale. Mm -hmm. And we ran that for six or seven years. Mm -hmm. We Then we had, because we didn't have any other children when she died. Then we had a son, then we had a daughter and we decided to close the charity. And then I raised money for Click Sergeant, Breast Cancer, um, charities like that. And then Pied Piper, owned, I've only been involved with Pied Piper for about six years. Mm -hmm. It feels like a very long time. But when we had the Emily Kent Charitable Trust, Pied Piper started at the same time. Yes. And as the hospital was about to be finished, they approached us and said, would you give us some money? Yes. And so the Emily Kent Trust gave them 50000 which is why now the oncology paediatric is called the Emily yes. Kent Unit. Yes. Um, and and we did the nice same memory. in Bristol. But in Bristol, um, Prince Charles was the patron and we gave them 50,000 as well wow. of the new hospital there. And we actually, we was talking about it yesterday. We went to dinner at Highfield and Byrne was sat yes. next to Camilla. Right. I was sat next to the bursar of St. Albans Lescus. stool or something. Lescus. Lescus. No offence if he is listening. But I anyway. mean, drank far too much wine. And at the end of the dinner, Camilla got up to come round. And obviously Byrne had been talking... Mm -hmm. You know, that's my wife. The tables were so big. <laughs> yes. And um, that's Socially my wife over there. It was cool. And, you yes. know, she came round to speak to me to say, you know, about the charity and yes. everything. And I just about stood up, you know, probably <laughs> slurred a little bit. But, um, yeah, so we, we, had a, we had a ward there as well. I didn't realise that you had a ward down there as well. And, and yeah. in terms of... In terms of the Pied Piper and, and what you do for that, then, what was the reason? Because you're, you're now the, uh, the chairman, essentially. Vice, well, Vice chairman, soon I'm, to be. I'm the volunteer fundraiser. And, um, what happened was about six years ago, Nick Brody came to me and said, you know, would you be a trustee? And I yes. said, oh, I haven't got time. I was busy running a boarding house for 60 teenage girls mm -hmm. because we did that for 20 years. Crikey. And uh, That's a challenge. Yeah. I said, I, don't, I haven't really got time. And he said, all you've got to do is attend three meetings right. a year. And somehow that turned into me doing all the social media, overseeing the office, yes. though we don't have that many staff now. Um, I encouraged them to start a charity shop, which um, has been open for just over two years. 
and our fundraiser i did say when i retired mm-hmm. i would do two days a week yes um as a volunteer but our fundraiser left just before the lockdown and so now i'm overseeing the fundraising as well yes which is all quite time consuming especially because it's yes. tough it's it? usually tough and, I'm, and, and in the pandemic people are looking after themselves more than looking after others and how has that impacted the charity as a whole in terms of giving money oh i I actually disagree a bit. I think people are looking really? after other people. Yeah, I think, and I people are still donating, but they're donating in different places. Right. So whereas before, hospices like Sue Ryder, us, um, all those sorts of charities, we are not getting the money as much. Mm-hmm. It's going to homelessness, food banks. People are really looking after people in their community, I think, because if you imagine a cul-de-sac, people before, mm-hmm. the COVID, before COVID just drove in, did their thing, drove to work. But once that whole clapping for carers thing started, people in cul-de-sacs actually got to know who was in their cul-de-sac. For the first time ever. And yeah, they didn't before. And mm-hmm. and they would say, well, you know, Flossie lives on her own. And they would start to think about that lady mm-hmm. that lived on. They didn't give a monkeys before, did no. they? They just led their lives. And so I think if there's any good, I always look for the positive in everything. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a positive that people do look out for people and seem to be caring about people more. But like I say, for us at Pi Piper, because we're very events-based, mm-hmm. so we couldn't have our two-day show that raises 40,000, couldn't have a ball that raises 25, couldn't have a golf day that raises 15. So we are, well, when we finished the year, we were 130,000 down. Wow. Because of all the events that we couldn't have. This year will probably be the same. We're just now, my philosophy is, let's just break even this year. Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, Blocks and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Blocks and ethos, combining big thinking with big results. They simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. In terms of 2020 for you, yes, there was a pandemic, but also something pretty groundbreaking happened for yourself personally. You were awarded <laughs> by by the Queen, a, well, not awarded just yet, but you yeah. were, you know, given in her New Year's birthday. It was in her birthday on his list birthday. in June, so... And you couldn't tell anybody? No. So that must have been quite annoying. It sort of took the shine off it a little yes. bit, uh, because that would be the sort of thing... I mean, imagine the first networking event that we would have been yeah. at. It would have been, you know crazy and just but, for just to be clear it was an mbe we didn't actually mention yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It was an MBE, <laughs> yeah yes um I, it was a good thing to come out of lockdown but and probably people if they've listened to any other podcasts mm. i've been on aboard of the story that i nearly deleted the email because the email came in and it was all capital letters and numbers really? and i nearly deleted it and then it, i thought oh because i had brought the whole school system down the year before by opening an invoice um <laughs> so i was a bit wary so yeah, and then and then I opened the email and it was, you know, would you accept would you accept, mm-hmm. you know, to be a member of the British Empire? 
And it was, it's a bit, I liken it to, you know, your hottest girlfriend or boyfriend gets down on one knee and proposes, here's the ring, but we're not going to tell anyone for four months. Yes. Because yeah, that's the sort thinking. of thing you're dying to tell everyone. But you're doing a virtual world tour, aren't you? I am. So I've been, I've done uh, three American podcasts, an Australian yes. podcast, Czech Republic. Oh, that's good. Uh, so trying to get around. So I'm trying to think as many people. And school, actually, the alumni at school is quite good because yeah. they've got lots of people everywhere. So um, trying to get, Get the word out, yes. Yeah, and and that's off the back of your excellent podcast called What's in the Goodie Bag. And what was the reason and thought process behind that then? Well, I'd been on so many podcasts, I thought, oh, this seems <laughs> this seems quite easy. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought, but Julie, you're not a techie at all. <laughs> so then luckily, Burn said, oh, well, I'll look at that side of things because he's meticulous. Yes. You know, I would have been, oh, that'll do. That'll be fine. He is meticulous. And so he said, I'll look into all that. And so I literally now do the interviews. I We transfer it all to him in the, the room next to me. And he just does all of it. He did the trailer, the really? music, everything. But the theory then was, I don't want it just to be, you know, interviews. And so... The people who've got to be, they've got to, well, more or less successful, whatever mm -hmm. that is, but they've got to also have given back in mm -hmm. some way to, mm -hmm. to um, benefit others. And then the key is that they have to give me something to go in the goodie bag, which I will then auction or raffle for Pied Piper. So I wanted something to come from mm. it. That's a know? great idea. I like that because there's so many podcasts out there that, yes, get monetized through sponsorship, but yeah. I don't think there's many that give to charity. No. And um, I'll just give a quick plug to Smartcoms because Smartcoms are the sponsor. They, from the word go, I, you know, they have done everything. They've yes. done my website. Um, I, they sort of helped me do my design for the Judy Kent MBE. They've been absolutely amazing. And um, so I said to them, you know, so I did a little trailer um, for them on the podcast as well. But it's just, and, and, and it's good. People like to think... I, in fact, I interviewed a guy in LA. His mm -hmm. hasn't gone out yet. He's an actor and producer. And he's given me five one-hour sessions um, for a young person to have with him about producing films. That's and I mean, imagine that at an auction of yeah. all our wealthy mums and dads. Yes. And yeah. they've got a child who wants to get into. Yeah. And he's based in LA. So yeah. that's a great thing that's to really auction. Good. You, your personal brand, which you've done, Julie Kent MBE Always Giving... Branding, personal branding over the last six, 12 months has been a massive thing that so many people have been talking about. You're on the money there, but why have you started to create you as a brand rather than, you know, is that to help the charities? Are you looking at starting a business? What is what is? It was really for the process? public speaking. Yeah. So it was to um, get out there and do public speaking. And again, when the, th the theory is, so when I'm doing the podcast um, away from Gloucestershire, mm -hmm. I look up charities. Um, so I usually look up a homeless charity and a children's charity because um, I've done a couple in Wales. That counts as yep, another country, yep, doesn't it? Does. it? Um, You've done Scotland yet? I haven't done Scotland yet, no, or Ireland. Um, but I look up local charities and I say to the people, because you know how big I am on communities yeah. and smaller charities, and I say to the people, look, there's, you've got Noah's Ark in Cardiff and you've got this, you know, raise money. I, from me talking today and saying how important giving is, I want people listening to go and raise money mm -hmm. for those charities mm -hmm. in your community so that my talk, has a ripple effect hopefully all over the mm -hmm, world mm -hmm. more people are raising money for their local charities so it's not just to raise money for those that you're patron or vice no. chair or involved no. in it's just to inspire those to give yeah 
See, I like that's really, really good. And do you get do you get people say that they have gone and given they have yeah. helped their charity because of that yeah. talk? That's amazing. Um and I've had a couple of ladies or a lady in America who contacted me and said, Would I um start doing some sessions with her because she's just started mm-hmm. a small charity? Mm-hmm. Then I thought this could go take me hours and hours now so there is now a power hour yes. with judy kent mba which you have to pay for oh good because good. otherwise you know i'm all about giving honestly yes. but there got there's got to be a limit yeah. <laughs> otherwise you spend the whole day doing it and how do you manage that because your experience has really only been with the greatest respect, gigging yeah. working in a school yeah. and then all of a sudden you've been thrown in the deep end absolutely well we do have an amazing board right. i mean we've got roger head who is the chairman of our um it's a level of irony there if he's the head yeah, you know, he's the head of the board. Roger it is. I mean, he's a really experienced businessman. So what, what was his background? Oh, he uh, he did everything years and years ago. In fact, mm. he lived in the road opposite me when I was little <laughs> in Gloucester. But um, he's got a telecommunications company that not many people know. He's got loads of property. Mm-hmm. He's you know he's bought a whole business park over in the forest and all that. Oh, his okay. there. So he's a very experienced businessman. So is Nick Brody. Yep. Uh, we've got Rob Freeman as a chairman. You know he runs Malvern Tires. He's experienced mm-hmm. businessman. So our board mm-hmm. is um, full of business people. We've got Rich Wilkie mm-hmm. for the law side, Russell Bird mm-hmm. uh, for accounting. You know we've got a board. And actually, I'm chairman of Cheltenham Open Door. Yes. Um, and. That is a steep learning curve, actually being the chairman. And again, I've tried to build a board. Um, I've got um, Alistair Garbutt from Willans, so mm-hmm. I've got a lawyer I know on. Alistair very well, yeah. And we're just... Um, In fact, he did the lease on this place. Oh, he is amazing. And he... Because Cheltenham Open Door is in Grosvenor Street... Mm-hmm. And we were feeding 50 people before the pandemic, 50 people, a hot meal, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. They could have a shower, could have clothes if they needed clothes. And uh, and then during the pandemic, well, Christmas Day, we fed 80 people. Wow, that's good. So we can't, if we opened up tomorrow, if COVID finished and we could allow them in, couldn't fit them all in. (laughs) So we are just about to get a bigger premises. Uh And... um, so I knew that I needed a board that had people because mm. obviously I know jack shit really about leasing and change of use and all the yes. rest of it. So I've got Alistair in. He's yes. a trustee now. And I've got this great guy, um, Kevin Allen, who yeah. ran businesses. And he's sort of, he's my right-hand man. We've got Nigel Church. He's a trustee. Good old Nigel. Yeah. I mean, that's simple. There's so many people, specifically on this podcast, we say to them, how do you do what you do? And they say, well, they've got advisors around them. They've got a board yeah. around them. No matter how big the business is or what scale they are, They've always got someone around them that they can sort of talk to, yeah. pull on, and 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 flesh ideas out with. And you're very much the front of house in terms of Absolutely. the face of the brand, right? Yeah, I'm the ideas person. I see the vision, mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm not very good on strategy. Mm-hmm. So I need people with me. They're going to help me get to that. So, Julie, so many people start businesses to, I suppose, grow and, 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 and come up with an idea that may be better other people. But what about starting a charity? At what point would a business potentially go into the charitable world, be it giving to people, giving to charities, or actually starting a charitable organisation themselves? Uh, well, I would, I would go for um, supporting others. There are so many charities. You know, there's 5,000 in Gloucestershire. I mean... We say that they're not all charities. Schools, you know, independent schools are charities. Sports groups are formed as charities. So, but there are so many charities, probably too many, and a lot that are the same sort of thing. So, I would say, uh, as a business, 
support a local charity. And the reason I have this thing about local charities is if you as a business organise a race night or whatever it is and you raise a £1,000, you know, don't you want to see where that £1,000 is going to go? If you hook up with a local charity, you can go and see... Um, you can go and say, can I come and see how your charity works? Can I see what you do? For example, we take people around the hospital and, and we would say, your £1,000 will um, provide all this fancy lighting on the wall in the children's bathroom or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so you can take that back to your business and say, right, guys, this is what we're going to raise the money for. And all the kids that are having a bath, and they're going to see flashing lights. And, and I just think it's good for team bonding to have that aim to raise money. If it's a local charity, you know, when people talk about whatever, whether it's hearts or um, whatever, you can say, actually, my business was involved in that. It's good for your PR, definitely. Well, I was going to say, at what point does it become just a PR spin for a lot of businesses? Because a lot of them do it for CSR purposes and they do it for all the right reasons, and I get that. But there's other businesses that go, actually, we need a bit of PR, let's give five grand to this charity and get in the paper. We don't mind at all. Right, okay. We're happy to give uh, businesses as much PR as they like mm-hmm. if they give us £5,000. <laughs> right, okay. You know, every that's the good thing. It's a win-win, yeah. isn't it? Aren't all business people looking for a win-win? Yeah. So, and I talk about this with giving. You know, I do something for someone and I'm thinking of someone yesterday. Actually, I'd done something for her and... Um, I felt good helping her. She feels good because I've helped her. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. And so giving is, is that's the power of giving. It does it's make a you feel win-win good. situation. But that's true. But what does success then, Julie, look like for you? Because it must be so difficult to say. Because it's, it's not making lots of money in your business. It's making sure people are okay, happy and looked after, I assume. Uh, or is it growing to a bigger scale? What is it? Are you talking about for the charity or for For the me? charity specifically. Well, for the charity, success is raising enough money um, in Charlton Open Door to survive our new building and feed all the people that want to be fed. For Pied Piper, it's about, you know, we do projects at um, SEND school. So there's a school near the Prince of Wales State, mm-hmm. um, near the football ground, called the Ridge Academy. Mm-hmm. And the children there probably couldn't be in normal school because their behavior behavior is off the scale because of everything that's happened to them and we're building them a new play area in the middle of their school we might put um, big screens sensory screens in SEND schools the equipment at the hospital I mean I went there this week and I actually went on the Emily Kent unit Mm -hmm. this week as well yeah Yeah. Um, and actually there was this lovely little boy and he was coming down the corridor in an electric Tesla, mm-hmm. a wow. smaller, and he was only seven, and he was going for some treatment. He had no hair. Uh, he's got leukemia. And um, that is still hard. You know, yes. even all these years on, I still find that hard. But um, so they want, they want to an extra cubicle because yeah. more children are coming in with cancer yeah. at the moment. And so all those things, we want to be able to say yes. So success of Pi Piper is saying yes to every single bid that comes mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. from the hospital or the special schools or the holidays. Um, so yeah. it's different things, isn't it? It is. But it, and success for you personally, because you look after so many people do so many great things for so, you know, the, the community as a whole. When will you feel like you've really succeeded? Well, I am on a big thing because I'm going to be 60 this year. Really? You look younger than I do. <laughs> so I've got lots of big things in the plan and actually today I sort of set myself a target of a couple of hundred thousand to raise Mm -hmm. because I can't let this opportunity I can use the fact I'm going to be 60 to raise more money I think Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to find a thousand you're always thinking of ideas though 
Pardon? So you're using the fact that you, as a person of 60, to raise money for other people. Yeah. I mean, that in itself just, you know, summarises you quite well, I think. I want to find a 1,000 women that yes. were born in 1961 yes. or 1962, because that's the school year, anywhere in the world. Um, and I want to form a Facebook group. And yes. I want them to raise 100 quid for Pi Piper and 100 quid for a local charity. Yes. We're going to form this group. And I'm interested to know what those women have done that are the same age as me. Mm-hmm. That should raise 100,000 mm-hmm. um, if I get 1,000 women. Um and I was think I've got friends that have said, but I wasn't born in 1961 and I want to be involved in doing something. So I'm trying to think of another group of women that will, again, raise. I was thinking, could they raise? They could raise 250 quid in a year because that's only 20 quid a month. And then I was thinking maybe I'll aim to raise half a million in the year that I'm 60. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be incredible. Would that to be a record? me, that would be like... Oh, I would just—that would just be amazing. Mm-hmm. What about opening it up to guys as well, though? <laughs> and then yeah. you could raise a million. You know, you yeah. could have—you know—people that were born in the same age or same year as yeah, as you, but, but, yeah. but were men, right? You just double your numbers. <gasps> but imagine if I personally oversaw the raising of a million pounds. Yeah. Well, that my... goes from MBE into Dame. Julia, it's inspiring and incredible um, what you've done. Congratulations again on your medal, on your MBA. You've done incredibly uh, and you deserve that hugely. I guarantee, though, however, you will raise £100,000 over the next year for the charity. (gasps) Wouldn't that be amazing? But, you know, come back at the end of it and let me know how it's gone. I wish you the best of luck and thanks once again. I've loved it. It's gone so quickly. If you're looking for more stories from inspirational entrepreneurs, then check out The Serial Entrepreneur from Startups Magazine, a digital and print publication that champions tech startups. You can find them by searching The Serial Entrepreneur, as in your breakfast, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. Without you, this podcast is literally pointless. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to climb the rankings. And if you want to join me on the show or know somebody else who will fit the bill, please contact me via LinkedIn at Oliver Bruce online. Thanks again for listening. Take care.